Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Siris Rivas Verdejo. She is the owner and founder of Empowering Light Language, LLC, a body relationship coach, speech language pathologist, and a learning behavioral specialist. Welcome, Siris. It's so wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited and looking forward to jumping in. How are you doing today? Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm well. Good. Thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I appreciate you and I am so excited to jump in. So with that being said, so you wear all of these hats. Can you share with us a little bit about your company, Empowering Light Language LLC, when it was founded, what the inspiration was behind starting the company? Yeah. Well, I've been doing this work basically my entire life, but professionally. (laughs) And when I finally decided to choose to create my business, I was living in Chicago and I think it was back in 2009, 2010, where I decided to leave working with the public schools there and was exploring other ways that I can support families and individuals with their communications, with their connections, with their bodies. And I started working from, instead of the, the public schools, into homes and getting to having the honor and pleasure of working with people directly in their homes with their kids and around meal times and their routines and from bath time to all of that homework. Bath time it. to bedtime. <laughs> yeah, all of that. The breakfast. And I actually got to be a part of those routines with the families, depending on what was going on. And the family started to ask for more. They were like, we love the speech and language therapy. We love the behavioral interventions. I feel like there is something else we could do. Do you happen to know what that could be? And I was like, well. <laughs> I just so happen to know. Yeah. So I do this weird kooky stuff related to energy and and body awareness. And it's been really helpful for me in my healing journey and with my health. Would that be something that you'd be interested in? And most of the families, especially the moms and dads were like, yes, oh my gosh, I would love that because they wanted self-care. They realized that they were aware of a possibility of them not just making it all about the kids that I was working with, but that they needed to include themselves and what they needed to nurture within themselves to be better parents, to be better partners and caregivers. And so I decided, hey, this mix of things, what if I didn't keep this separate? I had my energetic, therapeutic energy work on the side here, and then I had my very professional, traditional evidence-based stuff over here related to speech and language and and learning behavior. And I was like, I want to put them all together because that's 
how I function. But for some reason, I was worried. I was really worried that people were going to judge me about it, that they were going to take my kiddos away, which would be the worst because I love my kiddos. And so back in 2010, I think it was, I finally shifted from doing sole proprietorship and to create my business. And I decided to call it Empowering Light Language because of this particular moment that I had with some students with autism in their classroom. And there was this song, maybe you've heard of it. It's like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And at the time, I didn't know it was a religious song. I didn't know that it was coming from Christianity. We were using every song, every dance, every book, everything that we could do when these kiddos who were three to five with profound to severe autism would be really dysregulated and really upset and aware of something going on in the school. And they were often the antennas to alert us to things that were going on in the school. And we'd be like, thank you for the message. And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And we'd all of the staff, all these multiple teachers and therapists that would be in the classroom would sing this song and there would be this hush <laughs> come upon the classroom. And I was like, that's the energy of what I'd like to invite people to. I would like them to be like, this is your light. You're getting messages all the time. Let's shine it out so it can eclipse the intensity of some of the things that you're aware of so that you can express and communicate. And they were, through their behavior, they were communicating something. In addition to some of them were verbal, so with their words, and we'd go from there. And so having that intersectionality of all these different things was a part of the beginning of my business, and then it continued to evolve from there. How powerful. Just so incredible and beautiful. I love it. Absolutely (laughs) beautiful. So with you wearing so many hats or labels, I'd love to know, what does your morning routine look like, Series? Well, you're looking at it right here. We're doing some (laughs) PT every day, no matter if it's sunny, if it's cold, if it's humid outside. I tea all day, every day. Love, love it. I'm a tea fanatic and particularly like white teas is my favorite. And then I usually do some kind of movement. So I walk with my dog or I do some yoga in the mornings and really ask myself and my body, hey, what are we going to do today? What's required? I actually say hi body to my body every day and then look and check in with what's our yes and what's our no every day. And this is something that I actually invite the people that I work with to do And it really sets the tone for the day to be like, I'm not alone in this. Whatever the tasks are on my plate, whatever's on my schedule, and hey, body, what if we could partner together to navigate this with a little bit more ease than it would be if we were trying to push an agenda on my body instead? Ease and flow. Yeah, that's the key. I love that word flow that you mentioned it because that word, interestingly, has been a word that's come up a lot this month for myself, for the clients I've been working with, and how I look at it has changed as well. So I thought it would be when things are moving smoothly and the groove, but there's actually flow possible even when things aren't moving smoothly. And I was actually looking at it from a different space after reading What Happened to You by Oprah Winfrey and Bruce Terry. It's this book on trauma, resilience, and healing. And they talk about how when people are in the zone or the flow, it's often that there's an intensity or a chaos and they have to partially disassociate while still being present on all of the current possibilities for them to access their smart brain, their cortex brain, 
while also having a heightened sense of, okay, I had urgency. There's something to do here, but you have to not be in the panic mode, but there has to still be that friction a little bit for flow. And I was like, that's a new way of looking at it. Mm -hmm, And that has absolutely been what's been going on the last couple of months in my life. And it seems to be very much the theme of a lot of the people I've been working with. So I was like, well, that's great because it allows us to not judge ourselves when we don't have flow with everything being smooth because that's rarely the case. (laughs) It can't go that way. It can't always be smooth and flow perfectly because life happens. And mm-hmm. Doesn't it though? Shit always, <laughs> yeah, shit always comes up. You, you uh-huh. can't expect things to flow smoothly all the time. This is life we're living. Agreed. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? I think about twofold. I think about the little girl that I was and what she was aware of and what she was asking for of the people around her and of the world, some of which showed up. Some of which was like, why isn't it here yet? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And then also I think about what I would like the world to be like for the kids and the people in the future. And so I kind of toggle between those two, like really having these conversations with my inner child and that little girl. She was aware of something. We were aware of things as kids that we often shut down and put away. And I love having that touch point and still continuing to connect with that while recognizing that there's some things that I wish for that there's this child mind that is like, that's really not going to work, sweetie. (laughs) That's really not going to, it's okay. It's lovely. I get it. And no, (laughs) but then there was a lot that was going to work and that just hadn't shown up yet. And I'd love to be a change agent and somebody that's an advocate for facilitating, creating that on the planet. And so those are the two things that I look at and I'm fortunate that since I'm working with kids and families all the time, they have no problem telling me through their words, through their actions, hey, something's got to change. We need this. And so really being able to tap into that pulse continually and get that feedback is a beautiful gift. And it also allows me to know, just like when I partner with my body, I'm not alone in this. The kids have my back and then I'm going to have their back too. Love that. A partnership, a real true partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's how it flows and works. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it needs to. I think there's so much separation and there people is. are coming together now more than before, which I love seeing. And yet there's these other delineations that are still existing that really don't need to be there. And I'd love to find a way to bridge that gap more and more. And I hope that through what I do and the actions and choices I make, I'm hopefully doing that. There has been, there's been a hell of a lot of divisiveness in the world. And we do, we need to bridge that gap. We need to come together and unite because really, when you think about it, we are so much stronger when we're united. We will accomplish so much more together. Our voices are so much louder together Mm -hmm. collectively and we're not meant to do this thing called life alone we're not meant to do this thing called entrepreneurship alone either yes that's what we need we need to get back to community it's a Mm -hmm. missing piece we have been missing it for a while yeah i would agree with that and part of what i i do with my communication work is a lot of people have asked me to guest lecture and to do staff trainings and different workshops for parents for different companies 
where we talk about multiculturalism, multilingualism. That's one of my specialties and one of the things I geek out about, <laughs> especially from the perspective of that, like what you were saying, that we need to come together and there's so much more that we have in common than not. Yes. And I was really fortunate to grow up in a way that it was very inclusive. Even though my siblings had physical disabilities, my brother is hard of hearing. My sister has a physical handicap where it affects her motor ability and her gait. So we we're walking in the malls and she would have, you know, we affectionately call her like penguin walk, right? Where she was toggling back and forth. She has a very wide stance while she's walking with her braces on. And then my brother would be doing sign language and having his different deaf speech. And then me and my mom are doing our thing and looking in a way that is very hard to define, depending on what's going on with our hair and our skin tone that <laughs> time of year. And people would be staring at us all the time. And yet we would talk to everybody. We would be willing to talk to everybody. Maybe they wouldn't be willing to talk to us. And my whole family, both sides, is the color of the rainbow. We have people that have blonde hair and blue and green eyes and people that have the skin that's the color of the night. That They're so dark, they're purple. <laughs> and so the only light you see is their eyeballs. That's right. the whole spectrums in my family. So there was never this piece of, oh, you look different, so you couldn't be somebody I could relate to. And I took that with me throughout my whole life. And so it's been interesting to then navigate spaces where, oh, people would say to me, oh, you look different or you speak different. You come from a different background. Maybe we can't connect. And I was like, really? What? Where is that from? And so it and having that data point over and over again, and then educating myself on where they're coming from and what experiences they've had that might inform them thinking they needed to separate from me or from other people. I was like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. And then ha instead of being like, oh, you're wrong and try to force them, just be like, oh, this is a different perspective. Would you like to have more communion? Would you like to have more sense of, hey, we're actually in this together or not? And they get to choose just like we yeah. do. I'm very curious, what were you doing before you made the jump into entrepreneurship? I was working with families and kiddos in the homes and in daycares all over the Chicagoland area. I would drive maybe 70 miles a day. Wow. Seeing anywhere from six to eight families and kids, different households, different locations a day. And I was supervising and mentoring different clinicians too. So one of the things I really love is mentorship because just like we keep saying over and over again, we're not in this alone and I can't do it by myself. You're not doing your thing by yourself. We no. got to be willing to receive. And I also would love to empower the future generations of clinicians and other teachers and educators. So there's very few years that pass where I'm not doing some type of mentorship. And at this point, I was supervising a clinician one day a week. I'd rotate my schedule and mm -hmm. so that I would move my, let's say my Monday to Friday when I was supervising her on Monday. And then I'd move my Tuesday to Friday when I was supervising her on Tuesday. So we'd rotate that around. And that way I could have this impact on weight and reach on way more kids and families than the ones that I could manage in my own caseload. And then support her in, in learning and expanding her clinical practice. And then I was also doing parent workshops around different locations, checking in with schools still and doing evaluations for them. 
And then I was doing that weird quirky stuff that I mentioned with the energy work. And I was doing private sessions with people who wanted to have more ease with their bodies and commune with their inner knowing a little bit more clearly and making sure that I was taking care of my health. And it just so happened that right before I launched into entrepreneurship, and it very much seemed like a launch to me because I was like, ah, (laughs) am I really doing it? and leap, you know, I had to rebuild my own immune system from the underground right before then. I had just come from about a decade or more of chronic pain and chronic illness. And so I think that was part of me not quite being ready to share this energetic stuff that I was doing because I was still using it just for me. I was more than anything, I was doing some private sessions and working with people and meeting up with different shamans and having meetups where we were swapping with other energy workers and and conferences. And it was just for me more than anything. And if someone wanted me to do a session, cool. But I hadn't really fully dived in and being like, I am really doing this as a part of my business until multiple people were like, what's this other stuff I could do maybe that you know about? And I was like, damn it. Now I can't pretend like I don't know. You can't stay (laughs) hidden anymore. You can't hide those gifts. Yeah. And then it just accelerated everything from there. But it was a little bit of a lot of different things. (laughs) And it continues to be a little bit of a lot of different things. That's beautiful. my mode. (laughs) (laughs) i'm seeing a theme here (laughs) Uh uh i want to speak specifically about your journey into the coaching world now i've heard a lot of people say that most if not all coaches have been through their own struggles and journeys before making the leap into coaching i mean we've all as human beings gone through our own journeys and struggles of course it's that's part of the human experience but what i've found though is that for Most of the people I'm speaking with who are now coaches, their journey or their struggle or their pain, whatever it is, was the catalyst for them moving into coaching. Can you share a little bit about your own journey before making the leap into coaching? Yeah, I was told most of my life, and I don't think I'm the only one with this, that I had to choose one. You have to choose one home, one career, one book to read at a time, one partner, just one. And I found it really frustrating and very limiting. And so after multiple occasions where I was like, I can't really choose one. I couldn't possibly. That question, what's your favorite color? The rainbow. That was me. I was that girl. (laughs) Speaking again to that little girl, I was like, why am I picking one color in the rainbow? I think I got it down to three at one point. My 26th birthday, the theme was everyone had to wear orange, green, or blue in some way. Like you can pick one if you wanted, but the birthday girl (laughs) was going to wear all three and you better believe I did. And so (laughs) the same thing happened with dating. I was seeing all these different people dating in a way that I didn't have the words for. That This is before the word poly was so common. Polyamory was so common. I didn't know that, but I was like, I'd like to date multiple people. And I know that I have the capacity to love multiple people. I love both of my siblings. I love both of my parents. I have, as I was moving into adulthood, multiple clients that I would put in my back pocket if I could. Like, what's going on? Why do I have to pick one? And as early as high school, I remember dating my high school boyfriend who I absolutely adored. 
and could see myself marrying. And I was like, I'd love to marry you. And I don't want you to be my only experience. So what if we also dated other people? I'm not saying to break up, but how would that even look like? And I remember us having these conversations very innocently, not really realizing that was something that existed in the world at all. And yet that was the beginning of me being like, what if we could actually choose it all our way? And my choosing it all is going to be different than you, than my mom, than my friends. Okay. And so I started looking at a lot of the limiting patterns and beliefs that I had that were affecting me feeling like I could choose it all my way. And as I was dealing with that chronic illness and pain, as I was dealing with anxiety and depression up the wazoo, where I was having maybe three or four hours of sleep a night and just buzzing during the day with just, I guess, functionally maintained panic. Like it's the best way I could put it. Most people didn't realize how much I was worrying about on a constant basis. And it wasn't just about my life. I had all of my friends' schedules and to-do lists in my head. I would remind my friends in college, hey, we're at lunch. And I was like, hey, aren't you supposed to be at sociology class right now? They're like, oh, yeah, thanks. And I would be tracking all of that, which was a gift that I could do that, but way to use my gifts against me. And that was one of the things that I started to look at. I'm using my gifts instead of for me and to create more ease and more clarity. I was using it against me. And I think a lot of people are doing that. So I wrote down the reoccurring patterns over and over again. One of them is killing your body, using your gifts against you instead of for you, ignoring your gifts, lying to yourself, self-sabotage. And I track the different exercises, the different modalities and techniques that I would use to pull myself out of that pattern functioning. And it started to form together to become one of my first coaching programs, which is choosing it all your way. That's what it's called. And after playing around with teaching classes on it and then actually providing that as a coaching program to people directly, I trademarked it and it just continues and it's been going on now for over five years. So yeah, but it was really tracking and using all this journaling I was doing and all this manuals I was using with other people's classes. I was like, oh, this little nugget here, this was really impactful for me. And this little nugget there. And I give credit to the where I come from. Like, oh, if I got this from Access Consciousness, this is what it is. If I got this from Corey Michelle and her Art of Living Crazy Possible, okay, this is from Theta Healing. This is from Shamanism. And I would pull this all together. So that was also what we were talking about earlier about it's inclusive. It's not like you also have to choose one technique either Yes, exactly. to get you to where you go. It's like, what's going to work for you? And are you willing to actually choose that? Or is it going to be like, no, I'm going to stay in this lane. I'm going to keep forcing and trying to use this one thing that I've been told works for everybody else, even if it doesn't really feel right for me. Yeah. It should. And I was like, ah. Should is a toxic word. It's just yes. not helpful at all. And we should on ourselves all the time. Don't we, though? We do. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible habit. <laughs> How have these experiences helped shape the series you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? I have to be willing and have had to will- be willing to change anything at any given moment. And to not 
hold on so tightly to anything from any identity of myself as a professional, any aspect of myself personally, where I just moved. Like I was telling you before we started recording, I just had to move all of a sudden. I thought I was going to be staying in that home for a while. There was a ceiling leak and me being like, all right, what's right about this that I'm not getting yet? What's the opportunity? What's the possibility here that is yet to be illuminated? And really stay in the question over and over again has been of such a gift because it's even harder to deal with challenges when you are digging in your heels into what's not going to work anymore or what's you're being told over and over again. Sometimes like slaps in the face. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's it's time for something to change. And so from a little girl who really thought she wanted a lot of stability in a very particular way where I was a child of divorce. Both my parents divorced multiple times and I moved yearly. Every year to two years we were moving. It's almost as as frequent as someone who's like an army brat. I didn't have the military as an excuse. My parents were buying, renovating and selling properties. And there were a lot of that I love because we were very tight. The three of us, me and my siblings, we knew that we were the stable point even when we were moving and even when our parents, yeah. yeah, And when our parents were bringing in different people that they were dating and and marrying, we could count on each other and recognizing after we moved into adulthood and we're not in the same state anymore. And we're having all these other experiences that as long as I have my body, I'm good. That's the stability point that I need. And really it's evolved so much And then that now informs what I do professionally because I invite people to have that sense of certainty with their body in the midst of so much uncertainty that we're all constantly (sighs) managing and dealing with. And especially in the last couple of years, people are still dealing with so much of that, the repercussions of the pandemic, the repercussions of so many people that have passed and how it has affected economies and communities. So if we could once again tap in to that partnership with our bodies, we could have a greater sense of certainty and clarity than we would otherwise. And that is something that I knew before and I keep getting more and more evidence of and experiences with that is, wow, I thought that I was done learning about this, but nope, there's never (laughs) a done learning about yet another way that we can be informed by our body's messages and what our bodies are aware of. The learning process is never complete. We are, I mean, we're human beings, we're constantly evolving. So that learning never stops. And that's, well, and I think that's one of those things that I had to let go of was like, okay, I'm, a global citizen. I'm a lifelong learner. And also I was taught by two teachers. And so at some point as a teacher, you're like, okay, that lesson's done. So I thought I could close the book on one lesson as I was still learning these other lessons. Nope. All the books are open all the time. All the lesson plans are open and evolving and you're doing the cross out and write in again and okay, let's type that and let's white out and okay, over and over again. Amendments constantly. Yes, yes. (laughs) And it's just, I laugh now. Otherwise you cry and scream and that's okay too. And I let myself do that. But man, it's a lot. It can be so much sometimes. Yeah, for sure. 
I want to get into and discuss your work as a body relationship coach. How do you define body relationship and why is it important in overall wellness and self-esteem? Gosh, well, is there any aspect of your life in which your body is not with you? No. I mean, that's the first question that I like to start with when I discuss this, because a, a lot of people don't get that their body is everything and energy is everything. And that awareness or you're aware you're not willing to have an awareness is with you all the time. It informs your choices, your actions, your experiences, the lenses in which you see people and, and situations. And so for me, body relationship is how you connect and receive information from your body and from other people's bodies. And then how it affects how you have a relationship with yourself, them, and the world, all aspects of your life. And so for a lot of people, they're like, oh, you're inviting people to have a greater connection with their body. Yes, absolutely. I am. And that will then affect how they connect or not with other people's bodies how they're aware of those connections that they have, even if they're like, la, 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 I'm not aware, I'm not aware. But yeah, you are. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. How's that working out for you trying to block out that you're aware? It's often when we get blindsided, when we don't need to be blindsided, when we're blocking out an awareness of where we're picking up these messages and where this information is coming in. And unfortunately, it took a lot. Fortunately and unfortunately, we get it when we get it. For yeah. me, it took a lot of very dramatic, very loud, impactful blows up against my body of information I was getting from other people's bodies, information I was getting from the earth before I could see a different possibility. Like I was on the verge of dying. The doctors, I was seeing multiple doctors to try to get some more information and clarity on what was going on. I was chronically sick from November through March for over a decade, no matter what I did, allergy medication, inhalers, nose sprays, antibiotics up the wazoo. I was constantly just embedded with congestion and sneezing and difficulty breathing. And then I would have vaginal infections and UTIs and I would treat one with an antibiotic and then it would create a different thing. And it was just like such a mess. And a big part of what I finally got after I started working outside of Western medicine, because I tried all of it, I wasn't yeah. against Western medicine, but it wasn't working for my body, was I had to go to a naturopathic doctor. I had to start learning about Reiki. I was like, oh, I'm aware of stuff from other people's bodies. I'm aware from the earth of so much that the earth is asking of me. And as soon as I have a pain, I ask questions. It's like a twinge now versus before. I would be walking with a friend and I would be on my knees from pain, just screaming. That's how dramatic. Doot, doot, doot. It didn't, didn't get. I'm it's telling you, I was so stubborn. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm smart, but not, I'm not that smart, obviously. <laughs> it took me getting to that point of just being on the verge of dying where the doctors were like, if you don't do something soon, you're not going to be here anymore. You're going to get pneumonia and you're going to die. And that was in my 20s. And so I was like, great, doc. I'd love to do something else. I'm trying all these different things. What else you got? And they were at a loss. And so I had to keep looking and searching. And I think one of the biggest things that 
I remind myself of and that I invite people to is not to forget that it can be so exhaustive to tell your story over and over again to the next doctor, to the next therapist, to the next specialist. And yet me saying it over and over again while asking questions, hey, what you got? What you got for me? What do you know? What else could I do? Led me to still be here so that I could then hopefully invite people to have more exuberant living with their bodies and for them to know that something else is possible beyond whatever is going on in their world right now. And I had all of it. I had all of it. I had the health stuff. I had the mental, emotional stuff. And then later on in my 20s, I was a survivor of a rape. And so I was dealing with that and how that affected a relationship and my relationship with my body. And let's do this again. And okay, let's a lot. revisit and pick up these tools and, and look at something else once again. So it's one of those things where our relationships to our bodies are one of the most underused and underestimated capacities that we have that if we unlocked it and used it is really, we could truly have our superpowers. We really could. The badassery that is available to us when we tap into and partner with our bodies is not to be undersold. And so that's what I invite people to. And then I fortunately get to do it with little kiddos, little bodies, medium bodies, big bodies, whatever the bodies. I'm like, let's go. (laughs) What are are some body positive practices or activities that you recommend for people who are looking to improve their body relationship? I love learning what each person's yes and no is with them and actually inviting them to do that touch point each day. And if they want to do it multiple times a day, great. But to start your day with saying hi, body, and being like, what's our yes today? What's our no today? And for everybody, it's different. And I love learning what that is for that person. I've had some people where it's a movement forward or back or side to side or a little shimmy. I've had people where they feel like a vibration in their stomach or it looks like someone's tickling their toes. I've had someone say that they smell vanilla or lavender. I've had someone that says they smell the metallic scent. When it's a no for them, some people have mentioned things like, gosh, there's been so many examples over the years where they actually have a different taste in their mouth when it's a yes or their no. Like it comes from all these different senses and it can change each day. Just like you were saying earlier, we evolve and change moment to moment, day to day. And so our yes and no can also change and being willing to be so in our flow with that friction that can come up. And still get our yes and no and be guided by that so that what we choose is actually going to be nurturing and really yum-tastic for our (laughs) bodies. I love it. (laughs) Versus, oh, I guess we'll do that. Like it just be okay versus like, woo, yes, I get to do this right now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's one practice I love. And then I invite people to have movement and to choose movement in some way daily. And what movement is going to work for them is also different. So I come at it from a very much from a special education approach where I was trained as a learning behavioral specialist to look at how someone processes and takes in information. That's one part. The second step is how they process it and internalize it or not integrate it assimilate it. And then the third part is how they express it out. What do they use? How do they take it out into their world? How does it affect their life? And so looking at all three aspects of that with whatever area of your life that you'd like to have more ease or clarity, that's really important. And coming back to that with each area. So what another thing that with the movement then, when you're looking at 
well, what movement is going to work for me? How do I process information? Is it going to be something where it's easier for me to be, one of my clients needs to be seated to really process information. They can't do it on the go in the same way. I'm like, okay, great. Let's use that. So what if we did certain movements while you're seated that would then unlock more of this inner knowing that you have within you? Great. Let's do that. Okay, cool. Somebody else that their steps is more about they've processed information better when there's a lot of stimuli. Okay. Then when they're doing that, they need to not have the quiet. They need to have the TV on and the podcast on, and then they might have their little kiddo pulling at their hip at the same time. And instead of saying, oh, no, I should be doing this in quiet, ignoring what's going to work for them. It's like, no, do what's going to work. This is your thing. This is your way of being with this. And then what's the movement that's going to get that going? That is the movement energetically, not just the physical, right? So for each one is different. And I think a lot of people judge what they know is going to work for them. And so then they try to fit themselves into a box of other people's lives, other people's expectations. And that's for all these different aspects. I didn't even realize for me how much I still need to look at, oh, wow, am I doing this for me and what, I, what given what I know or because someone's projecting and expecting this of me? And it doesn't have to be one or the other, but am I willing to include myself and what I know in this situation, in this relationship, in this business or not? And a lot of people are maybe including themselves a little, little bit. Yeah. A sliver. And I was like, there's so much more of you available and there's so much more of you that is being asked for are you willing to show up and then continually showing up more and more yeah love it now i've had quite a few conversations as of late around self-love and the importance of that and the fact that everything absolutely everything starts with the foundation of self Mm. we are also very often told and have been conditioned to believe that loving ourselves and self-care and all these things are selfish With all of that being said, what are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners can implement immediately to start their journey into self-love? Self-love is, you're right, it is used so much now that it's becoming, well, what does that mean to you? What exactly is that? And again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. For me personally today, and if you ask me tomorrow, I might say something different, but today it's this aspect of really looking at what I truly desire of my life, what I would truly like to create of the people that are in my life and with the people that are in my life and seeing how what I know and what my unique gifts and capacities, what I bring to the table and actually acknowledging that first. Like a lot of people don't know what they bring to the table, don't know the contribution that they're being to the people in their lives. One of the books I'm writing right now It actually started from a conversation I had with one of my good guy friends. We were washing dishes together. I was going through a really hard time at the time, and I visited him out in Michigan. Mm. And he had this beautiful house that he had just purchased, and he's a big cook. So he's like, I'll cook for you. You just got to chill out and decompress. And I was really having a hard time. I was really depressed around some transitions that were going on. I was thinking I was going to be moving to Australia, and Australia wasn't calling me back. I was like, okay. So I was washing dishes with him and I turned to him and I asked him, so what do I contribute to your life? Like we've been friends for years and it wasn't from this place of searching for compliments or insecurity. I really, I was like, I know I'm an awesome. I, I really was coming from, I know I'm awesome. I'm a badass. 
but what out of all of this awesome this actually contributes to you is actually works for you and he just looked at me like i was an idiot <laughs> he looked at me like i was an idiot he was like like isn't it obvious and i was like no I, what is it and so he's like you provide insight there's a different perspective that you give me when we're having conversations that i get i get a lot of ahas when we're talking that i don't usually get with other people and i was like oh wow Okay, that's good. And then I started looking at this and I was like, well, do you know what you contribute to my life? So here he was just a moment ago looking at me like I was a ninny. (laughs) 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 And he totally drew a blank. He did not know out of all the amazing things that I love about him, what he contributed to my life. And I think for a lot of people, it's very easy for them to say, oh, I love this about my mom. I love this about my partner. I love this about my kids. But when it looks, then they have to look at, well, what do I bring to the table? What am I contributing to them? It makes them really uncomfortable or they just Mm -hmm. draw a blank because they're so used to giving. Certainly the people that work with me, they're givers, they're healers, they're the caregivers, they're the parents, they're the educators. They're those people that are like the emergency contacts. That's usually the people that come to me because they want to make sure that they're caring for themselves as they're caring for other people. And so this piece of self-love is so, so important because if we don't actually recognize how loving we are, how caring we are, and how that shows up and is being received, we're actually not seeing ourselves clearly. And self-love is seeing you in a way that's actually true, not through the lenses of all the things that we've been told about ourselves, all those voices in our heads, all those things that we're judging ourselves by. And I think that's a great place to start if people are willing. <laughs> Therein lies the key, <laughs> <laughs> is being willing to do the work, which is usually or the, the play. I yeah. love, as that's part of the gift of the work I do with kids is I want to be really serious. Right? I want to like, <laughs> oh, like, this is serious work. But then I'm like, hey, just seeing you when you were a kid, it's like, hey, this is who I am. Like, duh. It wasn't work. It was just there. And so I'd love to have more of that, including for myself, because I could still get really serious sometimes. Then I'm like, want to just slap myself in the face and go, come on, kick yourself in the butt a little bit. It's not that serious. Life is meant to be playful and irreverent and whimsical. And let's get some more of that going. (laughs) But, But as we step into adulting, because of conditioning and all of the things, we lose sight of that and we forget what it's like to be a kid and that it's okay to be playful and have fun and do those silly little things and just be because of all the conditioning and all the other bullshit that comes along with it. It's true. It's such bullshit. And on top of that, that's part of why I found it so interesting because around 2014, I'd always considered myself kinky from middle school, if you can believe that. I could remember clear kinky things I used to do. And yet around 2014, I was in the middle of between different relationships and I was done waiting for my partners to be willing to explore kink in different spaces outside of our relationships. I was like, I'm single. There was an event literally down the street from me. There's no excuse. I'm actually free. I'm not working. I, I'm going to get my butt there. So I go to this kink event that's called a munch, which is where kinksters get together and they talk about whatever they like and they just network at a restaurant. A slosh is networking at a bar for kinksters. Okay. And so I went to my first munch and I all of a sudden got immersed and got to explore a community, speaking of community, of people, adults that 
got to tap into their playfulness again and got to be really irreverent about this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And oh, if I, that's not my kink, but so cool that you know that about yourself and having that support. And it's so interesting because for me, I always did kink no matter what. I didn't need a, those public spaces, but it was astounding to me how over and over again, I heard from the adults in there that it was their first time since they were kids really allowing themselves to play again. That was where they could give themselves permission because like you were saying, they had been shutting that away for years and years. And I was really fortunate that I got to play every day, all day with the kids I worked with. And then I got to do that in my personal time with my partner and I didn't feel like it was a new thing. And yet I was like, oh, this is a thing that is so missing for so many people's lives. And it's so key to actually having an enthusiasm for living. If you have to do this adulting really serious all the time, how fun is that? It's not fun at all. Not so much. There's definitely other ways of having that playfulness that isn't kink, but I definitely found that it's interesting for people to explore that and have that be a catalyst to unlock, oh yeah, I could have some more fun again. It's okay. It's important (laughs) that we realize that and do start having fun because we're only here for a short time. So you might as well enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. And what a ride it can be. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. What excites or lights you up or is the most rewarding thing about the work that you do with your clients? I love the aha moments. I love when a kiddo is able to make a sound or do something that they themselves or their families never thought that they'd be able to do. They never thought that they'd be able to walk. They never thought they'd be able to eat this certain food or say this certain sound, pronounce the sound that they were going to be able to show up. We're at the end of the school year for a lot of the kiddos. And I still get to this day, all these graduation and end of the year photos from kids that I worked with when they were three, four, and five. And this last week, I just got a beautiful photo from a kiddo I worked with when he was in first grade, kindergarten or first grade. And his name is Andres. Hi, Andres. I've worked with multiple Andres, and I love the name Andres. The first boy I kissed was Andres. My cat was named Andres. So there's a lot of Andreses. It's very positive associations. And Andres just graduated from high school with honors at the top of his class. And the mom was like, you were one of the first that saw this as possible when everybody else was like, no, we got to give up on him. And and I worked with her, the mom, this was in a school and the mom was a volunteer at the school, very involved. And she still keeps in touch every year. I get those photos and it's like one of the best things that in my life, I was like, oh my gosh. And now it's been hundreds, thousands of, of kids and people that I've worked with over the 17 years I've been doing this. And incredible. But when someone gets to outcreate what's been projected and expected of them, oh my gosh, how does it get better than that? And what a testament to the work that you're doing. It really is super gratifying. Yeah, that's my favorite. (laughs) What would you say are three of the most important lessons you've learned in your career as a coach? Gosh, that people can surprise you. Myself included, I surprise myself, people surprise me, to continually ask questions and not let what someone thinks of themselves and what someone thinks of you stop you from really leaning into your awareness. It's been really interesting for me to have people come to me and be like, already, they think of themselves, I'm not going to be able to do this, or 
if, if something gets messed up, it's because of me and I'm sorry. They're already apologizing before we start working together. And I was like, oh, sweetie, you got this. We're going to rock this together. It's okay. Or they come and there is a perception about me where they say, oh, everything's been super easy for you and you're really confident and you communicate really well. And I was like, I used to stutter when I was public speaking. I remember in high school, I did a presentation on rape myths and realities and I was stuttering the whole time, extremely, not a few disfluencies, like shaking, okay? And I had the horrible self-esteem. I could not receive a compliment about my body. I could not wear certain clothes that, that accentuated certain things. I was just not willing to be there and do that. And so not letting what all these people would think about themselves or me, nope. I was like, all right, well, let's just see what we can create together. And just let's show up. Let's show up. It's just like one of my favorite yoga studios in Savannah, Georgia. They have the tagline of show up and then everything else is just gravy. Like Showing up is the big piece of it. Yeah. And so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is not to give up. Not to give up on what you perceive as a possibility. For some of us, we get just these little winks, these little peaks at a possibility that we would hope for, that we're dreaming for, that we ache for. And not to give up on that and keep nurturing that little seed, however little it is, with our choices, with us asking questions and continually meeting people that might be able to also water it with us and also refresh and fertilize that soil with us. Those are the three things that keep showing up over and over again no matter who I'm working with and whatever type of work I'm doing. And that keeps seeing me through. And it's helpful for me to remind myself because, man, sometimes it can be so much, right? And you're tempted to be like, yeah, forget it. Toss your hands up. Bye. I'm done. Toss the table. You know, I guess. Walk out of the room. Fuck it. Yeah, but no, it's so worthwhile. Because the world is better with us in it than not. And as much as for some of us, we've been told, that the world would be better without us in it. That's not true. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. It is for sure. It's important. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I'm really tapped into bodies. I always have been. I really am willing to look at the unseen. And I remember as a kid, I had this big aha when I was in an access consciousness class back in, gosh, I think it was 2016. And maybe 2015, 2016, I was in a class. It was like over 300 people in the class. It was really amazing. And the founders of Access Consciousness were facilitating the class. It's called Foundation, the class. And I remember them saying something about entities and the unseen and me being like, oh shit. Oh, wow. This is something that I was aware of even as a kid. I have a lot of addicts in my family, a lot of alcoholics in particular, but name an addiction, it's in my family, especially my extended family. And so I didn't realize until that moment that I used to perceive when it was really my uncle, when it was really my loved one there, or if it was an entity that was kind of in the way. And I used to just kind of wade through and focus on the light in them that was really them. And not all this other mess. And so I would be able to communicate with them and understand what they were saying when they were slurring their speech and all of that. This is before I became a speech language pathologist. This was me as a kid. I would be able to understand them no matter what they were saying because I was able to tap into the energy of what they were saying and who they were and the light within them no matter what. And I think that's one of the things I do continually with people. I tap into what's true for them, what their bodies are saying 
no matter what all this stuff is going on in their world and what they are been telling themselves for however long. Mm -hmm. And then we can go from there. So that the key part is using that then for them, them to tap into it instead of them relying on me. I'd like for them to know it and be able to get themselves and be able to tap into that inner knowing on their own so that they can take that tool and be able to use that for whatever they'd like to create as their lives. For the rest of their lives. Become self-reliant. Yeah, that's key. I mean, I think that's really what empowerment is. It's not about them having all this information necessarily and just sitting on the shelf, but them actually being able to use it when they need to. Like knowing that it's there, knowing that all these gifts and capacities that they have are available to them and knowing when to use that given the situation, given whoever they're talking to, given whatever they'd like to create. And I think it's also important to mention that everyone does have gift, a gift or gifts within them yeah. and to realize that and that those gifts are meant to be shared with the world. They're not for you. They're for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than you, but yeah. it's your responsibility to share those gifts and put them out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's the part of the self-love as well. The self, how self-love and self-care connect. You are actually, when you're loving yourself and seeing yourself clearly, you can better care for yourself and you are a better caregiver to other people. If your cup is empty or you're running on fumes, how can you be an effective parent? How can you be a nurturing and empowering educator? How can you invite people to consider different possibilities as a professional? It's a lot harder. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. It's too hard. So speaking of success, how do you define that word? For me, it's changing people's lives. And that means I've already been successful. And so that, that was something that was a gift to me by a mentor when they reframed success for me. And it wasn't attaining the next degree. It wasn't having a certain amount of money in my bank account. It wasn't living in a certain place or something like that. It was like, okay, how many people's lives have you changed? Have you already affected one person's life? You're already successful. You're done. So it's like, now what's the next thing? But it was like, okay, who's the next life that I can impact? And just doing it one person at a time and really being present with that and looking at how that can be. And then recognizing that as I'm doing that with other people, they are totally rocking my world, (laughs) changing my life. And there's that reciprocity there, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Love that. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most? That's that trickiness of picking one, Brad. The most, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, I'll just say which one's the first that came to mind, which is my parents' divorce and all of the ripping out effects of that. They separated twice before they got divorced when I was 11. But at five was when they first told me, hey, things are rocky. I was the oldest of the three of us. I'm the oldest, I guess, of the three of us still. So they tell me. (laughs) And I remember my mom sitting me down at a bathtub and being like, hey, we're thinking about getting separated. We might get divorced. And this is what that means. And me just bawling. But at the shock, at the sense of loss at the time, even at five, I was always very immature. And then seeing them drag it out for another six years. And seeing that pain and suffering and seeing them argue and trying to protect my siblings from it as best as I could, that was very impactful. And then you think, okay, fine, the bubble's going to pop, they're divorced, the the pain and suffering's going to end, right? No, then we had lawyers and 
choosing sides and all these different things after that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this doesn't need to be this way. And me seeing that and the choices that I made being informed by those experiences absolutely affected everything. And is a part of the work I do, is a part of the personal actions I take daily. And also what I choose to have with my siblings moving forward, we still check in about stuff and reference how that impact us and what we've done to outcreate it on a gosh, at least monthly basis. We have other things we have to talk about too. So of course. Like- <laughs> of course. <laughs> what is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? So many. I did not expect to get a fellowship to go to grad school. I thought I was going to have to work three jobs like I did in undergrad. I worked three jobs to be able to afford and, and offset the costs of going to Northwestern University, which I was my number one choice and I loved it. It was absolutely the right university for me. And when I was applying for grad school for master's programs, it's a lot less back then, even more so now, back then it was still less funded and supported than PhD programs. And I knew I wasn't going to do a PhD at least at that time. So I was applying like crazy and got a fellowship. And I just pulled over on the side of the road, reading the letter, bawling, just bawling, because it wasn't a full, just a full ride. It was also money for books and living. It was like $18,000 a year, which wasn't enough to cover everything, but was on top of not having to pay for the actual schooling, which was $50,000 a year. I was blown away. And it allowed me to really be able to focus on studying. And then I was able to do a dual master's degree. I did two master's degrees at the same time, one in speech language pathology and one in learning disabilities and having to get to truly be present with how they intersect and support each other and get those strategies to then set me up for success in my career. So unexpected, so grateful. And it would have been a completely different situation if I didn't have that. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing, okay? Okay, let's see. If How exciting. Be... <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Legacy. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Body love. What is your favorite self-care practice? Yoga. What is the best compliment you can give yourself? You're doing good. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> what never fails to make you laugh? Ah, uh, kiddos. Kiddos look, crack me up. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> that was fun. It's like, wee, okay. <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? That my career has taught me. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. I think what we said before, it, it continues to be the case that there is so much more that we have in common than not. And even for people that feel like they're in a different step in their journey than where I'm at or than where I ever have been, that there is so much commonality. And to start from there and also to start with what we're, we're strong in, what are our strengths and start from there instead of focusing on what's lacking or where we're having challenges. That's I, I like that you said focus on what our strengths are because I think this plays in, this is another thing that we are conditioned growing up that you've got to improve in all of these different areas. And if you're not good in one area, you got to keep working at that. You got to keep working. At, why aren't we teaching people, our children, 
that they should be focusing on the thing that they are good at and get mm-hmm. amazing at that instead of spreading themselves out and, oh, you need to improve in, in arithmetic. You need to improve in spelling. Just as examples, you need to improve yeah. at all these different things. How about we just focus on the things that they are good at? Because that will help them later in life to where they can let go of things that they aren't so good at and maybe don't enjoy. Leave mm-hmm. that work for other people. Yeah. I think that's leaning into your groove. One of the things that it's really informed me is that as a special education teacher and looking at that, we start with kiddos' strengths. We start with what they're strong in to work on their weaknesses. And so, yes, I would agree that let's focus more energy on your strengths and for the things that you'd really like to develop, not what people tell you have to develop, but what you'd really like to be like, I'd like to be better with this than using those strengths to address that and to make it easier for you to develop those things that are weak points or more challenging for you. That's the key thing versus like it in isolation. Yeah, exactly. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I think the first five things that I would say I love about myself have nothing to do with my physical. I love how honest and forthright I am. It's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) Not everyone wants my honesty and forthrightness, but that's also what I've learned is a strength about me and is a very great indicator for me of who I can be around for long extended periods of time or not. Can I be fully transparent and honest and or do I have to be walking on eggshells and be really careful when I'm around you? And right. my closest friends, I can be unfiltered and not in a mean way. I'm not saying I'm just throwing things out there and without conscious thought, but I don't have to adjust my vocabulary. I don't have to worry about what they're going to think about me or the judgment. It's just here, you know me, I know you, here we are, let's go. And that's really, I think, important. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? That I can be hurt way more profoundly than I thought after all the things that I'd gone through. I did not think that something could rock my core and my life to the extent that me losing my grandmother did. I did not think that was going to be the case, especially since we've been kind of anticipating her dying for like 15 years. I was caring for her 24-7 with my mom, so I I knew it was going to happen. And yet when it did happen, it just shook up my world way beyond I expected. And it's still having an impact. And yet it's also been such an invitation to, again, for me to pull off those things from the bookshelf and use all the tools in the toolbox and be all the things I invite other people to do and ramp it up in a different way than I've ever had before. That there's always a new way that things can show up. I don't think we can ever prepare for a loss like that. No matter, yes, like you said, you know it's coming, but it doesn't matter how much you tell yourself that the effects are still going to be profound and rock your world and shake your foundation for sure. Especially when it's a loss like that, your grandmother or a parent or a sibling. You can't prepare for it. You just can't. And so I learned that and I'm continuing to let myself grieve my way. That's another way I'm choosing it all my way is it's not about anyone else's timeline, anyone else's way of grieving and honoring her and myself at the same time. There is no timeline. You grieve how you need to grieve. And this is a whole other topic. We could do a whole podcast on this alone, (laughs) how people deal with it and how we're not taught the Mm. things to say and how to deal with grief and all of these things, right? It's, there is no set timeline. Everybody deals with grief differently and it's a fuck of a tough road to walk. 
Mm, no it can be. You are. Yeah, it can be. I didn't expect it in particular because she was a big part of how I created the living and dying body process that I teach people. And so I was running it on her when she passed. My mm. mom and I were running it on her. And so it allowed her to have more ease as she transitioned. And I was running it on, and then I've run on myself continually since then. And it has provided a lot more ease. And yet, ease is not the same as easy. And so that is one of those things that over and over again, I've been like, you know, I'm having a lot more ease with this than I otherwise would. And man, this shit's not easy. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Ah, uh, interesting. I would love to chat with one of my aunts that I never really got to talk with who died really young and she had seven kids and she was one of the first examples of a queer person in my family. When I was coming out as pansexual, I first came out as bisexual because pansexual wasn't even a term that was existing back then. And I realized that really was more my sexual orientation as I discovered that word and things like that. But she was one of the first examples that I had. And she also was assaulted. And she also dealt with a lot of abuse with our families and to the point that she moved out of Puerto Rico to New York to raise her kids and everything to get away from all of that. And I would love to have a deep, vulnerable conversation with her about her life choices and also to see if there would have been anything that we could have done as a family different, like just these different things that was going on then with, with expectations for women that I can only surmise. Yeah. I can't really know. And I'd like to get her perspective because for all of her life, I've heard about it through other people. I haven't ever heard about it through her. And I think it's really important for people to hear stories of someone as close to possible to the original sources. And that's one of the ones that I, I'd love to, of course, talk to Oprah or a bunch of other people as well. But that's the first one that comes to mind today. That I was like, man, it would be really cool. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really empowering to me. And hopefully it would be empowering for her too, to see me now, one of the future generations actually getting to live a life that I don't think she would have thought was possible back then. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Chill the fuck out. <laughs> oh gosh. It's you don't have to take on all these responsibilities that are not even being asked of you. I would just look for things to do and take on. Part of this pressure and being a perfect daughter and perfect granddaughter and perfect friend, I was just constantly taking on other people's stuff. And I wasn't okay with just being as much as I am now. There's still more I could be comfortable with that, but it's come a long way. And man, I was really putting a lot on myself that I didn't need to back then. That's a lesson that a lot of us need to learn is that we are human beings, not human doings. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? It would be full of gratitude. That's the big thing. I've been fortunate to speak at family functions and things like that. And oftentimes at Thanksgiving, I'll do a little something. And that's what, it's my favorite holiday because of the gratitude piece for it, for me, at least how I do Thanksgiving. And there's a lot of gratitude and really expressing my thanks for how they have contributed to my life and to me being here. And that, man, this has been a, a wonderful roller coaster ride and that it wouldn't have been the same without them in it. And just thanks. 
Thanks. Beautifully said. Sirius, thank you so much for taking the time and making the time to be here with me today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You are a truly inspirational human being, woman, and soul. I appreciate you being here with me and proud to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Thanks for talking and playing with me today. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Siris Rivas Verdejo. She is the owner of Empowering White Language LLC, a body relationship coach, speech language pathologist, and learning behavior specialist. Thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.